Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Hey, everybody. How we doing? All right. Woo! How you doing? Woo! Okay. Well, good. Hey, uh, if I met you, I have some visitors in the house. My name is James. I'm the campus pastor here. And I want to just give some vision. Uh, hopefully, if you've been here a couple weeks or you noticed just now, we pray for different churches every single week. We've done that since we began as a church uh, 23 years ago. And the reason why we do that is because we recognize that we are a part of the body of Christ. We are not the only church around. We're not the best church around. We pray for other churches that we can all be the best church that God's created us to be and reach the people that he's called us to reach. And, uh, and it's important because Jesus is coming back for his bride. He's not coming back for the name on the front of a church. And so it's really important that the body of Christ is unified as much as possible working together. And uh, it's amazing how prayer helps bring unity. And so I just want to let you know that's just who we are as a church. And so uh, what I love about it is that sometimes people will come here from other churches, you know, and that happens every once in a while. We call that in church what we call that transfer growth, okay? Uh, and it's not necessarily the kind of growth that every church wants. We know that it happens every once in a while, you know, but ultimately we want to be reaching people who are unchurched or dechurched. But, but every once in a while people come from different churches and, and maybe you didn't have a good experience or maybe you left because whatever the reason might be. But what I love about it is at one point or another, we're going to pray for that church. And, and, and I just want you to know, I think it would be better for you if you could just go ahead and Ask God to do whatever kind of healing or work, forgiveness that he needs to do in your heart because it gets real convicting when all of a sudden that church that maybe you haven't had good things to say about and all of a sudden we're praying for them because they're part of the body of Christ. How many of y'all know there aren't any perfect churches? Uh, how many of y'all know this is not a perfect church? How many of y'all know I'm not perfect? How many of y'all know? Okay, you raised your hand way too quick on that. Some of y'all are like, I know for sure. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm not. Uh, no, man, but we're just doing the best we can to love Jesus and love people. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're in this series teaching on Mark. I want to ask you, have you ever come across a situation or something in your life where you would ask the question, where did that come from? Where in the world did that come from? I mean, living in Arkansas, just as the weather, we ask that question because it can be like a winter storm and then the next week it's 60 and we're playing golf. Like, we're like, where did that come from? That's why so many of us follow Todd, the yak, Jacobian, right? Because he, the, the dude will help you out. Like, if you don't wanna get caught surprised, he's a weatherman, I, like my wife refers to him by name. She's like, well, Todd says, I'm like, okay, you, this, you, you, are, you are too comfortable with Todd, okay? Like, please call him Mr. Jacobian, okay? <laughs> the Yak, <laughs> that's his nickname. I don't follow him. I let her follow him. She tells me what's going on. Uh, 
But every once in a while, stuff like that will happen. It'll happen definitely for sure if you're raising kids. If you're raising kids at one point or another, you're going to have one of those, where did that come from? Uh, boys, for some reason, never really girls, but boys. Uh, I, I've heard of people. I, I cannot confirm nor deny it's ever happened in our house where one of our boys would be playing a video game and something happens. I don't know what happens, especially when they're online with their friends, you know, and they'll let a cuss word fly. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? And hopefully the explanation for that cuss word in your family is, well, they learned it from some other child, <laughs> some other heathen. You know, in our house, it's some other kid or maybe their mom. That's where they learned it. So <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. If you know my wife, she's like the furthest thing from a cusser. So that's it's not even true. Where did that come from? I'm sure at one point or another, you've experienced one of those, like where you caught yourself. You ever just reacted? You reacted so poorly and you're just like, where did that come from? Like that has happened to me for sure. I definitely can struggle with my temper. I can struggle with being patient. When Cody and I first got married, we were newly married and I thought it would be a good idea to get us a puppy. And you're laughing because you know it's stupid when you're newly married to get a puppy, right? But we got a puppy and not only did we get a puppy, but we got a lab which is the most destructive creature that has ever lived, right? So we get this chocolate lab, his name's Charlie. He wasn't a bad dog, but he was just kind of a typical puppy, you know? And so for the first few months when we had him, he just destroyed everything, just chewed everything, okay? And at one point, uh, we had him tethered out. So like when we were away from the house, we had him outside, he was tethered. Uh, on, on a long leash, he could move around and he had a dog house there, but he, he could get close to the deck of the house. Not on the deck, but close to the deck of the house. And we came home one day and we're pulling in and as soon as we pull into our driveway, it looks like a confetti cannon went off in the front of our house. There is shreds of paper everywhere. We pull in and, and, and we pull around and we see Charlie sitting there. You can tell with dogs, but especially labs, you can, you can tell when they know they've done something stupid. They're sitting, they're, they're sitting there acting like they're real excited to see you, you know, shaking their tail real, real hard, but they're also like, I'm going to die. And he was right. Because what happened was the UPS guy delivered a box and we were in classes at that time. And we had ordered $600 in textbooks and the UPS guy saw fit not to put it on the deck, but right where Charlie could reach it. And Charlie thought, my new best friend, a little snacky poo, and just destroyed everyone. There was nothing left, nothing. We were gone like a couple hours <laughs> and this dog just destroyed it all. And as soon as I saw that, I, I, I remember turning off the car and then I blacked out. <laughs> the next thing I remember is this faint voice, James, James, Pastor James. And when I came to, I was holding Charlie up against the house with both of my hands around his neck. His eyes were as big as saucers. And I was putting a little bit of pressure because I decided this dog is not worth $600. 
and textbooks. And the noise was Cody desperately trying to get my attention because I was going to kill that dog. And I came to my senses, right? And I put it down. And that's when we knew we're a little ways out from having kids, probably. We probably... <laughs> Probably need to figure some things out. Probably should have got a plant before we got a dog. Let's just be honest. And uh, it was scary. Where did that come from? Well, maybe you have some of those, where did that come from in your life? Scream at your kids. Where did that come from? Catch yourself in a lie that you, you, you tell every once in a while to make yourself look more impressive. Man, where did that come from? Someone starts to gossip about someone, maybe a friend, but before you know it, you get sucked in and because you want to be accepted, you're dishing dirt too. Where did that come from? You tell yourself that you're never going to look at porn again after you got caught by your wife, but five days later, where did that come from? The truth is it doesn't matter what that is, it all comes from the same place. It comes from the heart. And that's gonna be the focus of what I wanna talk about today in Mark. I wanna give you a heads up that this passage, compared to last week's chapter, is very different in tone. Last week, Mark chapter five, Jesus is showing a lot of love and compassion and forgiveness, but Mark seven, he is coming in hot with conviction and challenge. And you will feel that. But the primary reason why there's the shift in this tone is because in chapter seven, Jesus is dealing with pride and a religious spirit. And throughout his ministry, Jesus got really strong when he started dealing with a religious legalistic spirit. And he is not pulling punches on this. So in Mark chapter seven, verse five, it says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And it, it, honestly, it probably, it just really frustrated Jesus because these guys were constantly sitting around. There's all this ministry happening. There's lives being restored, miracles, healings, all of that. But a religious spirit will always tune in to these little tiny things that don't matter and miss the big picture of what does matter. So I want you to mark that word tradition, tradition. Why don't they follow the tradition? Because it's throughout this chapter, throughout this passage, and Mark gives us some of the background of why this question was asked. Because priests were required to wash anytime they approached the presence of God. But a tradition had been created that required the same kind of symbolic washing for every meal. Before you ate every meal, you went through this same ceremonial washing. Jesus' disciples didn't do that. Jesus didn't require his disciples to do that. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are ticked that they're not washing their hands and washing ceremonial before every single meal. Now, I do think you should wash your hands before you eat, okay? But these guys are being religious. And I've seen people lose their minds over stuff like this. We had a lady a few years ago, she didn't go to our church, but she was here for a baptism service because one of her grandkids was getting baptized. 
So we went through the service, baptized her, her grandchild, and uh, you know they were younger, and so it, when they're a little bit smaller and they're in the baptism, they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, they're a little unsure. They're like, okay, I don't want to drown. And we're like, you're good. But, but he, he, he might have flailed around a little bit, you know, but we got baptized. Everything seemed great. A couple days later, we get a call from this lady and she is irate. We're like, what's going on? How can we help you? She said, well, I was going through the pictures of when you baptized my grandson. And I noticed, I zoomed in, and I noticed that he was not fully submerged. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, no, I noticed there, one of his ears, the side, his ear on the side of his head, it didn't go all the way underwater. Now, don't laugh too loud because you might be sitting next to somebody that ascribes to this theology. I want to let you know as a church, we don't ascribe to this theology. But she comes from this line of thinking that unless they are fully submerged, it doesn't count. And she's also from the line of thinking that water baptism is required for salvation. And so in her mind, because he was not fully submerged, it didn't count. Basically, we set her grandson up to burn in hell. And it was our fault. And some of us are thinking, that's a little extreme. Okay, this is what a spirit of religion looks like. And they'll be passionate. They'll feel very justified in it. So the pastor responded at the time. I'm not saying he responded the right way, but he did respond in a way. And what he said was, ma'am, I think we're okay because based on your thinking and understanding, only that ear will go to hell. The rest of him <laughs> will be in heaven. He will spend eternity in heaven without one ear, probably, but he'll be in heaven, you know, and that's what matters. She didn't like that answer. And... But the great news is her grandson and grandkids and their parents stayed in church and love Jesus to this day. And they seem to be very saved. So, but that is what a religious spirit can do. Now, I have some of my own issues. I've definitely struggled with legalism at different points in my walk. Very judgmental towards people and different decisions they make and lifestyle and I definitely can struggle. I, 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 will, I will question somebody's salvation or relationship with Jesus if they don't know how to properly merge in traffic. I will definitely question, like, I don't know if I don't, you need Jesus. I think you need Jesus. But honestly, probably on some more serious subjects than just people's inability to drive. All of us have things like this, but we all have to be very careful that we don't elevate our preferences, our personality, our politics, or even our personal soapboxes over the word of God and what it says. We don't add to this, to justify, to condemn. It stands alone. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees by quoting a verse out of Isaiah 29 and I'm gonna read it straight from where he quoted it from. In Isaiah 29, verse 13, it says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. So Jesus brings a gut punch, calls them hypocrites. He's communicating what really matters and what's really at stake. And he goes on in verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses his father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares 
The word might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin. Okay, that word means devoted to God, a gift of God or for God. Then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God with your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like this. Okay, so again, Corbin, it simply meant that you devoted all that you had to God. Okay, that's what that term means. But tradition, these people, the religious leaders and teachers, turned it into a word that meant that everything that you had was dedicated to the temple. That the temple received everything when you died. But like all financial rules, there was loopholes that they used. But basically, they got to live as lavishly as they wanted to, but had a spiritual reason not to help other people, not to help people in need. It's meant that you could take care of yourself, but not be generous. You could see a needy person, and maybe the Holy Spirit is giving you a heart to give, but you would say, oh, I can't. Corbin, I can't. I've got my, but it's the Corbin. It's all of it belongs to the temple. Your mom or dad could be in need and they could ask for help and you say, sorry, I can't, Corbin. And the Pharisees are constantly allowing people to disobey the law of God, to follow traditions, many of which they made up. So Jesus calls these people to come and hear these closing remarks. In verse 15, it says, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Okay, so at this point in the story, Jesus and his disciples, they leave the crowd. One of the disciples, probably Peter, comes and says, hey, Jesus, could you explain that last parable? I mean, I know you and I get it, but the rest of the guys, they're a little slow. Actually, in the NIV version, when Jesus comes to explain this, he says, are you dull? Like, how can you not get this? But he explains it. He says this, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. And if I was still a kid life or youth pastor, I'd probably be tempted to make some sort of noise or some sort of bathroom homer joke. But because I'm a mature grown man, Pastoring big life now, I'm not going to do it. We're just gonna move on. But this is what he's saying. You think that it's things that you control. What you say is good or bad that defiles you, but that stuff just passes straight through you and becomes rubbish. It becomes what comes out of the south end of a northbound kangaroo, all right? But, it, but it's actually what's really bad is the things that you've allowed in your heart. So he goes into this in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Man, what a list. But they don't come from what you eat, actually they don't even come from the situations and circumstances that happen to you, they come from your heart. 
And Jesus is clear. You can look around for someone or something to blame, but all these things come from inside of you. And it's the same thing with the Pharisees. They would love to just try to keep anything that looks bad or evil outside and away from them. So they think that they could be clean before God. But Jesus is saying, no, you have to deal with the evil that's in your heart. And we have to deal with the evil that's in our heart. How do you do that? The first thing is you have to admit, I have a heart problem. Every one of us, we have a heart problem. Can you imagine the weight of a moment where you're sitting in a doctor's office waiting for some test results and the doctor walks in and he's got a really look, serious look on his face and then he reveals, Mr. Bennett, you have a serious heart problem. There's no quick fix. There's no surgery that will heal you instantly. And if you don't deal with this issue, it's gonna destroy your life. I believe that is exactly what Holy Spirit is trying to do with us right now. He's trying to point out your heart and he's inviting you to pay attention to it, to what's happening in your heart. These are what the prophets of the Old Testament would declare in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, we don't like that in our culture. In fact, we say things like, well, he has a good heart. Well, they have a good heart. Well, the word says, no, nobody does. In our brokenness, in our sinful nature, man, our heart. And the thing is, you can see this in really young, innocent kids pretty early on. It's like, man, where did that come from? It's in us. We have to see that all of us have that heart issue. We have a heart problem. Now, here's the thing. In the South, you have a phrase that suggests that you get this, like that you already know the source of all evil. Personally, I grew up on the wrong side of the Mason-Dixon line, but I'm sure that you can help me out. Like, for instance, if you see somebody who clearly doesn't know how to drive very well, you might say to them, You even, you have a different voice. You'll change the inflection. You may not even been raised in the South, but you're gonna sound Southern when you say that. Oh, bless their heart. One of our kids does something dumb. Mm, bless your heart. So we know that they have a heart problem. The challenge is to recognize I have a heart problem too. Once you understand that, I must guard my heart. So Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he collected some Proverbs and put them into a book, some wise sayings, including some of his own. And he said, if you remember one thing above all else, this is it, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Whatever you do, guard, keep, watch over, protect, defend, preserve, safeguard your heart. 
Okay, so we grew up, like maybe your parents, I know my parents taught me how to protect certain things. Like, how do you protect your body? Well, you don't talk to strangers and you buckle your seatbelt. Two of the main things, okay? Well, how, how, do you, how do you guard your finances? You know, so they taught us to diversify and invest in long-term investments, avoid credit card debt. Taught us at five, six years old, you know? How do we protect our home? Well, if you need accuracy, I'd go with a Glock 19, maybe with some upgraded optics or 1911, some similar platform to that. But if you just need to be able to point and shoot with some knockdown power, I would suggest a Benelli 12 gauge with a folding stock, maybe an automatic, semi-automatic, something like that. They taught us, we know this stuff. But we weren't always taught how to guard our hearts. How do we keep our hearts safe? And I think that this is huge because I want to talk to the parents for just a second. If you're raising kids, I don't know what the standard of your home, the conviction of your home when it comes to your kids having boyfriends and girlfriends. But what I do know is this. If you don't teach them that the most important thing that they're going to do is guard their heart and guard the heart of the person that their boyfriend and girlfriend with, if you don't teach them that and the biblical principle and standard behind it, then you are setting them up to have a horrible foundation for relationships for the rest of their lives. You have to teach your kids to guard and protect their hearts. But the question is, if you're going to challenge them to guard their hearts in certain areas, are you also setting the example for how you as a family guard your hearts on other subjects? And I wanna tell you, the Bennett household is not perfect on this. We miss it. When it comes to your heart though, you have to learn that there are gates that you learn to close and gates that you can open. I was raised, we had a, a few head of cattle, we had horses and mules. You learn when you grow up with livestock how to close gates. You learn it. And you have to be very intentional about this. I know because I spent a lot of time chasing animals around the neighborhood, horses and mules around when one of us kids, never me, always my older brother or younger sister. I was pretty much perfect on the gate closing thing. I just wanna throw that out there. But the animals would get out and it would take forever. So you, you just, you learn. You learn, you don't rush it. You're careful, you're intentional because you throw that chain around, but if you don't get it hooked on the gate, it's gonna come off and you're gonna let something valuable out or something you don't want in. You learn that. Guarding your heart is about keeping the right things out or the wrong things out, the right things in. We have to establish some gates for our eyes and ears, the standards of what we will watch and listen to. In Psalm 101, it says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. The NIV translation says, I won't put anything vile, okay? But that feels a little too strong. Like it's too easy to look at what we watch or listen to and say, well, it's not vile. 
Like, it doesn't make me want to throw up a little bit in my mouth when I think about it. But what about worthless? What about worthless? I've never owned a brand new car, but I have had cars that were new to me. And this is how that process looks. And a lot of you can relate to this. When you get a new car to you, it is sacred ground, right? Like when you first get that car, nobody will eat or drink or maybe even breathe in this vehicle, okay? Because I have a new car smell and your breath stinks and I don't want your breath in my car, all right? And you, and you will hold firmly to that standard for a few days. Before you know it, the kids are eating Cheetos in the back seat. You've got water bottles and sippy cups stored up underneath seats. There are science experiments growing. That is where COVID started. It started in a sippy cup underneath some soccer mom's seat in their minivan. That's where it started because at some point or another, you don't care. You're not judging the kids because you're up front. You've tried to, you're figuring out how to modify one of your cup holders so that it can hope your Chick-fil-A dipping sauce and your ketchup packet right next to each other so that you can drive while eating your chicken nuggets and your fries at the same time. At this point, you've had waffle fries marinating under that front seat for months. You don't care as much. Well, it is a slow fade when it comes to the things that should have worth becoming worthless. And it happens to your heart. So I think an important question to ask is when it comes to sexual standards, when it comes to the words that come out of your mouth, to the way that you treat other humans, to what brings meaning and purpose and value, does this show that I'm watching, this music that I'm listening to, this short video that's entertaining me, does it pull me towards God's perspective and presence and the standards of his word or to the standards of the world that always elevates self as God in our culture. And no one is exempt from this. We all have to reevaluate our gates. And this happens in our home because we'll find some show and it doesn't have vile stuff in it. It's pretty clean doesn't have all this cultural agenda. There's a little bit of language. Like, eh, don't really like that. But then you allow it. And then you find something else and it's got a little more language. But it doesn't have vile stuff in it, so it's, it's good. That music, I mean, the lyrics are pretty clean. Uh, I don't necessarily know that I want that person to be the model of a role model for my child, but they seem to be, they've got a good heart. But what happens is every time you open that gate a little further, what you don't realize is the Holy Spirit is stepping back. He's a gentleman. 
Holy Spirit is never going to be holding you around the neck trying to hold you to a standard. He's going to say, okay. If that's what you're going to choose, you can choose that. But before you know it, your heart's messed up. And then you've got to learn to cleanse your heart. We have to cleanse our heart. Here's the thing. We don't want to be in a place where we guard our heart because it's the right thing to do. We guard our heart because we want a clean heart, a heart that responds to the world, to people, to circumstances and situations in our lives the same way that Jesus would respond to those things. We don't guard our heart because it's the right thing to do. We guard our hearts because when our hearts are guarded, we feel confident to approach the presence of God. We guard our hearts because we understand that one moment in God's presence is better than a thousand days in the world, influenced by culture. There's nothing like his presence. That's why we do it. But the fact is our heart still needs cleansing. When it comes to your kids being clean, okay, when it comes to your shower or bath, Schedule. There's really two ways that you can approach this. There's the rhythm method. And that is where every day, every other day, for our sake, at least every Saturday night before they come to church, they bathe, shower. Okay, the second method would be the sniff method. And that's where you ask them to come over. Oh my, go shower now. And if you are raising kids, and I will say, especially preteen, teenage boys, if you are living by the sniff method on behalf of every teacher, on behalf of every person that has to live around them every day, please transition to the rhythm method where every day or so they're cleaning themselves. The point is this. When it comes to your heart, if you are seeking to cleanse your heart by the sniff test, it is too late. Because by the time you experience the stink of a dirty heart, you've already hurt someone that's closest to you. You've already hurt your reputation. You've hurt your witness. You've already done something that you're going to regret. So how do you cleanse your heart consistently, regularly, quickly? First of all, come to Jesus. And I would say daily. Come to Jesus daily. It reminds me of the story that we talked about in the first week of this series. Mark chapter one, a man with leprosy came to him begging on his knees, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus was indignant that this man even thought that he couldn't ask this. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And he is willing and ready to cleanse hearts right now. And he is the key. He's the key. We've got to come to him every day. You've got to have a conversation with him every day. Yes, the biblical word is prayer, but we overcomplicate that. We hyper-spiritualize it. It is a conversation with the Lord. And it's important we do that because some of you are like, I want to pray, but I just don't know all the words. You are blessed that you don't know all the words because some of us have been raised around church. We know all the words and it makes us sound fake. Sometimes when some of us pray, we know all the words. It's like we change our voice. We don't even sound like the same person. Oh, Father God, we behest you. 
We come before you, Father. Lord, by your grace, may we transcend into the second order of Melchizedek so that we might be good representations of a priestly people before you and before the people that are dying in the sin of this world. Would you ever, do you talk to your mama with that mouth? <laughs> but you would never talk to somebody who had a relationship sometimes the way that we wind up talking to God. Does he deserve honor and respect and reverence? Absolutely. You know what he's more interested in? Having a real relationship with you, having a conversation with you. So there's this phrase, you miss one day of prayer, guarantee you Jesus knows. You miss two days of prayer, you're gonna start catching on. You miss three days of prayer, we all know. Because God created you to need to come to him every single day. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much of the word you think you know. He has created you to come to Jesus every single day. He's jealous for your time. He's jealous for your attention. He knows that you need it for your heart to be cleansed. Also, confess your sin. Confess your sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's faithful to forgive, but then it's a little bit more than that because in James 5, 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and then you'll be healed. So you confess to God, he forgives. You have trusted, trustworthy friends that you can confess to so that you get restored and healed. And you have to have this. We are going to be a church that's authentic. We're gonna be a church that's real. One of the things you'll hear us say is be authentic to everyone, be truly transparent with a few people you can trust. And you have to have those groups of people in your life. You have to have people that you can confess stuff to too. Because it's the confession of your lips, like saying it out loud, man, that is what, brings real freedom. It's what gives accountability. It's what brings support. It's also what lets the enemy know that that secret thing that he thought he was gonna be able to leverage in your life, whether it's a generational curse or whatever it is, that thing that he thought he was gonna leverage, he can't do it anymore because it's gonna get exposed. And it's gonna get exposed so that the body of Christ, so that the Holy Spirit can do the work for your heart to be cleansed so you don't have to stay there ever again. You've gotta have that. If you don't wanna be real and transparent, you're gonna have a very difficult time fulfilling your purpose in the body of Christ. I had somebody this last week, she, she said, I like your church, she doesn't attend here. She's like, I came, I liked your church, all right, your preaching was okay, I didn't care for how personal you were with all your personal stuff. I'm like, sorry, you, you, we're just gonna be that. You've gotta be real, you've gotta be authentic with somebody. If you're not, you're gonna be bound up. You can't be free if you can't confess. Wash with the word. Wash with the word. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. The reason why Jesus gave his life for his bride, the church, is so that he might sanctify her. Sanctification is a process. It will happen for the rest of your life. I don't care how holy you think you are. If you think that you're done being sanctified, you're missing it. 
Because until Jesus comes and takes us and gives us our glorified bodies and removes the need or desire to sin, you will need sanctification. The rest of your life, how do we get sanctified? We get sanctified by contrasting where we're at with where God has called us to be. That's his word. The word of God becomes that mirror that we can look into and say, yeah, I need to know that truth. I need to know that standard today because I'm not living that standard. And if God has called me to the standard of the character of Christ, then I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed by the standard of the word of God to be transformed in that. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our heart is cleansed as every thought aligns itself with the knowledge of God and the obedience to Jesus as we meet with Jesus daily in his word. We need that, to be washed by the word and also worship. Worship. 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The fear of God is worship. It's not singing of songs, but it's an exaltation and a lifting up of God, the lifting high of God, bringing him glory in our lives. The more we set our eyes on Jesus and give him the proper glory, and as we walk in the fear of the Lord and we recognize he's great, I'm not, and we give him glory, the more pale and unappealing those smaller gods in our life become and it'll cleanse our hearts. You get to a place where you realize, man, I don't even want or need those things because I'm completely consumed with Jesus. I'm completely consumed with who he is. But the fact is he still called us to be salt and light. Do you think, well, if I'm gonna guard my gates and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get mine, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're just, we're gonna build a compound and there's gonna be big fences around it and we're gonna make our own butter and clothes and we're gonna guard our gates. No, as you walk with Jesus, you walk with Jesus and guess where Jesus is walking? He's walking out in a dark and lost world because there's still people that need to see Jesus. Which also means this last part is really important. Invite the spirit to fill and lead you. Invite the spirit to fill and lead you. It's hard to explain the Trinity. We serve a triune God, okay? As you talk, as you have conversation with the Lord, you can use any of the names you want to about him, okay? But just to be specific, God the Father's in heaven. That dimension. Hopefully we all get to experience it. Where's Jesus? The word says he's at the right hand of the Father. Who is with us? Spirit of God. I would encourage you, talk to him. Like by name. Because the word says that he is the great counselor, helper, physician. He's conviction. He's power. And if you want to walk with a cleansed heart and still be salt and light in a lost and dying world, you're going to need him to walk with you. You're going to need him to empower you. You will need his gifts 
you will certainly want to demonstrate his fruit. But he is also the great physician. And so when you find yourselves in one of those, where did that come from? You can go to him and say, as a great physician, would you bring a scalpel? And would you examine my heart? And if there is anything in me that doesn't please you, that would grieve you, would you expose it so that it can be cut out, so that I can confess it, so that I can come to you, so that I can worship you again? The Holy Spirit will help you do that. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Some of you, what you need right now is that opportunity to come to Jesus. Many of us are believers. We needed to be reminded that we need to come to him. But there might be a few of us in here that we're not believers. We've never surrendered our life to Jesus. We've never come to the place where we recognize that we're we're lost and dead in our sin and we need a savior. We need someone to pay the price for our sin. We need to surrender control. We need to make him Lord. And if you're in the place where as the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you right now, you recognize, man, I don't. I'm away from him. I, have no confidence, no peace that I have a relationship with God. And it may be because you've never come to Jesus and surrendered to him. And if you know that he's telling you right now that it's time, I wanna give you an opportunity to be obedient and respond. And I'd love to pray with you. And as a sign of you being obedient in faith, demonstrating willingness to admit that you need him, I want you to put your hand up right now if you need to call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And as soon as I see you, put your hand down. Got you. Who else? I'm ready to call on Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life to him as my Lord and Savior. Got you, bro. Anyone else? Father God, I thank you for those couple of hands. I thank you for the value of their soul. I thank you, God, that you love them, that you always have loved them. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to them right now. You're telling them how much you love them. They can feel your grace. They can feel your acceptance. They can feel your conviction. Lord, I pray that they would be completely open to that. And if you raise your hand, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. I would tell you that the word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and was raised again by the power of God, that you are saved. So there's a part of you declaring that you've made this decision. And the reason why that's important is because you're going to need people to know that you believe what they believe. It'll defeat the enemy's plan when you declare that you are now a Christ follower, a great way to declare you're a Christ follower is through water baptism. But right there, I wanna lead you in a simple prayer. You just pray something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you.
I'm broken. I can't save myself. I believe that you came and you died on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death so that I could walk in freedom, so that I could have purpose, so that I can look forward to the hope of heaven. And I pray that you help me by your spirit, by the washing of your word, by connection and relationship with the body of Christ to fulfill my purpose in you, I surrender to you as my Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. Father, thank you for that prayer. But all of our prayer, Lord, I pray that in a, a day and age where the world is getting more and more dark, would you help us, Father, to have wisdom, to be sensitive to your spirit, to not be religious and legalistic, but to be soft and tender to your spirit. And God, even right now, as you're showing many of us, hopefully all of us areas, maybe a show, maybe it's music, maybe it's pride, maybe it is legalism, maybe it's insecurity that's manifesting in ways that cause us to act like something we're not. Whatever it is, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. Expose it, bring conviction, and help us to respond, Father. In Jesus' name.